Listen, uh, we finished up a series, and, and it was culminated on Easter, and it was about the resurrection of Jesus. And spoiler alert, without the, without the resurrection of Jesus, our faith, it doesn't matter. And so we, we kind of hang our hat on the truth that Jesus rose from the grave, right? And that it's through that, the power of the resurrection, that we have the hope of eternity, the hope of life in Christ. And that's the big deal. And that is what we place our faith in, right? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Remember that? So I want you to imagine with me, imagine if you could have absolutely perfect faith and confidence in God. Imagine with me that no matter what was going on, regardless of where you are currently in your thoughts about God, would you just imagine this with me? What if, what if you really lived as though you knew it was true that there is a God who knows your name? That there's a, a personal God. What if you believe that there's a, a God who is personal and that this God, not only did he know your name, but he would hear and respond to your personal prayers. What, what, if, what if you believed that? And you believed that you could have absolute confidence in God all the time. And I, and I mean, having confidence that God, that God will come through, that God is reliable, that God is trustworthy, that God is worthy of my confidence in him regardless. Because I'll tell you what, it's easy to have trust and confidence in God when things are going well, right? It's easy. When every day is sunny, when the bank account's, you know, positive, right? When things are going our way, it's easy for us to say, I'm too blessed to be stressed, right? Everything's good. But having confidence and trust in God when things aren't going that well. When, when, when you offer up a prayer, and to be honest, it just feels like it kind of bounced off the wall and off the ceiling. And if there's a God that knows my name, that God that knows my name, he didn't hear my prayer because he didn't answer. But, but imagine with me, if you could have a type of faith that says, I have complete trust and confidence in God, where you could say, God is in control. God is in control, and he will work it out, and I'm going to trust him. What if this is the way that you viewed your life and the world that's around you? What if you truly had this type of confidence? What if you truly had this type of faith? Could you imagine? Could you imagine how different your life would be? Could you imagine how different you would make choices? Could you imagine the amount of confidence that would come from knowing that there's a God who loves you, a God who trusts you, that you have trust in and that you have confidence in? That you have this, this, this confidence that doesn't go away, this personal security. No matter where I go, God is with me. I have the ability to face uncertainty. It doesn't matter what this day brings. Oh, and those temptations, right? Doesn't matter because I know that God is with me. Loneliness 
doesn't even hit your radar because you say, God, I trust you. Could you imagine having that type of unshakable faith? Now, for for those of you that have been around for a while, could you imagine if you had that type of faith when you were in high school? When you were in high school, you developed this faith that said, God, no matter what happens, no matter what comes my way, I will trust you and I have confidence in you. Could you imagine what your college experience would have been like? You know, college, that place where you started to question everything that you believed. Or the real world, right? Where bills came due, relationships were hard, work. Who told you that there's going to be work when you were a kid, right? Imagine how different we would view illness if we had that kind of faith. But chances are you probably know somebody. Do you know somebody with that kind of faith that no matter what comes their way, they just kind of trust? They just have this unshakable confidence. But part of you kind of stands back. If you're, if you're the person that, that is kind of struggling in this area, you kind of, you kind of stand back and you go, you know, you know what? I think it'll be a little bit different if they walked in my shoes, if they had the trouble that I had they had the parents that I have, if they had, had the, the issues that I've had to walk through, it would be different for them. I mean, honestly, I don't even think these people have seen the world. They don't watch the news. They definitely don't have a Twitter account. They must be on the happy part of social media. <laughs> Obviously, someone with that kind of faith, they're just living under a rock. Because when we find people like that, and if we're not that type of person, if we're not the, I have faith and confidence and trust in God, no matter what happens, if you aren't one, you know what? It's annoying. And it's a little bit irritating because, to be honest, you just wish that you had that confidence. You wish that you had that confidence to stay the course. But but you're not going to say that, right? You're not going to go... The reason that I'm looking down on them is because I wish I were them. Instead, you claim to know more. You claim to know more about the world and about how things work. I mean, obviously, they're just living with their head in the clouds. They don't know what's going on. You claim to have more experience or some some sort of more knowledge because you've actually seen the worst of the world. And you say, you know what? I wish... I, I just wish that maybe for one day I could be that ignorant, that, that uneducated about what's going on, about the state of the world that we live in, because, man, if ignorance is bliss, that would be pretty peaceful. But imagine with your IQ, with, with your knowledge, with your life experience, with everything that you have taken into account for every day that you live in this world, knowing all that you know and seeing everything that you've seen, that you could wake up every single day with this unbelievable, unshakable confidence in God. Anybody in here want that? Me too. 
And as we read through the Old Testament and we read through the New Testament, it's very, it's very apparent that God, God wants us all to have this. He wants to grow this in each one of us because God wants to reestablish a relationship, a relationship based in trust and confidence. But see, our problem, our problem is not just simple disobedience. Our problem with God didn't begin just with simple disobedience in the garden. Instead, do you know what the true issue was in the garden? It was a lack of trust. At one point, we decided that God was not trustworthy to be in control anymore. Because when things go rough, what is it that we like to do? We like to control it. Right? How many of you, when, when something is going on and you know that it's going to get a little rough, you just say, you know what, I'm going to control this thing? That was a question. Yeah. Okay, we have like three honest people in here. That's what we do. As soon as something goes wrong, we put our hands on it and we say, I'm going to keep this going right. Right? It's not going to be by God's might. It's going to be by my might. Right? I'm going to make sure I'm going to keep an eye on God. You know what, God? Why don't you just sit over there? Because I've got this. The problem is from the very beginning that we don't fully trust God. The story of the Old Testament is about God reestablishing a relationship with a nation. God chose the Israelites and he said, listen, you guys are going to be my example of what it looks like to walk in a trusting, confident relationship with your heavenly father. You will be the example to everyone else. It was a word picture. But in the New Testament, we find God reestablishing a relationship not with a nation, but with the whole world, with the Gentiles. And that's most of us in here would be considered Gentiles. We, God is reestablishing a relationship with the whole world, and he's not doing it based on our merit. He is doing it through his son, Jesus. God is reestablishing a trust relationship with you through his son, not because you were good. God's trustworthiness and God's love, they have nothing to do with you. And they have nothing to do with how good you are. God reestablishes trust because he wants you to grow in your faith. He wants you to grow in your trust from the inside out. God wants you to be growing in faith. He wants you to have big faith. He wants you to have something that develops into great trust and great confidence because of who he is, not because of who you are, because of what he does, not because of what you do. It's because of what God is doing on the inside of you that it grows. And not only does it grow, it permeates, it seeps, it flows, and it goes out into every area of your life. 
it, it grows from the inside out and it seeps out into your relationships, into your, into your work, into your school. It, it, it seeps out into every area that you go. And if that type of faith is growing inside you, you know what happens? Your life, it becomes different. The way that you view relationships, it changes. The way that you view tragedy, when something goes on in your own life, a personal tragedy happens, you can look and say, God, I don't like what's going on, but God, I trust you and I am confident that you have not left me. When our relationships go south because we don't listen to what God's word says, we say, God, I still trust you. When we see our prosperity, we finally see prosperity in another way. It's not about climbing a ladder of success. It's about living a life that is full, a life of obedience. Our morality our morality stops being about what we think is fair and it starts judging everything based on the, the, the presence, the authority of God. Our ethics, they change. Everything in our life changes when we learn how to properly grow in our faith. And God desires to grow us in our faith. He wants us to have big faith, not the kind of faith that just kind of lasts until something bad happens. He wants you to have lasting faith faith. And I think there are about five things that God uses to grow us in our faith. I, you, there's probably way more than that, but I think there's at least five. There's at least five things that God uses to grow us in our faith. And you're not going to find these in the scriptures. You're not going to find like a, a writing from Paul and he says, okay, thou must doeth these five things in order to grow in thy faith. I'm so glad I don't have to talk like that. He says, listen, what we see, what I see, what, what you see, and, and the people that you, that you know are actually trusting and have confidence in God, they, they have about five things that happen in their life that help them to grow, and they're these things. The first one is practical teaching, which we're going to talk about today. The second is providential relationships. God puts people in your life for a purpose. The next one is personal disciplines. It's the, the habits of growing, the habits of being steadfast in God's word. Personal ministry. What does it look like to serve and to be used by God in pivotal circumstances? And pivotal circumstances is probably the one that we don't like the most because it's not always the most pleasant. But you're not going to find these in the Scripture. You're not going to find these as a footnote in your New Testament. And these are just based on observations and stories and these things that show up time after time after time again as people grow, as people become, as people learn how to be the people that God has created them to be. So today we're going to talk about practical teaching or practical biblical teaching. We could talk about washing windows or tying shoes or the best practices for, for those things, but that is that while that's practical teaching, we need practical biblical teaching. Because here's the way the story normally goes. I heard about God 
I heard about God when I was this tall. I was in Sunday school. I was in vacation Bible school. Or, or maybe you grew up in a different kind of church. But I heard about God, and, and, and I just heard the stories, and I know all the stories. But eventually, somebody invited me to a church or a Bible study or something, and they started talking about God's Word, and they talked about God's Word in such a way that it kind of hit me, not here, but it hit me right here. And, it, and it, hit me, it hit me here in my hands. And I didn't know. I didn't know this kind of stuff was in the Bible. Because it's not just mere information. It was practical. It was applicable. It wasn't, not, it wasn't that it was more just information. I mean, because kind of gone. We, we know the songs, right? We know the songs, right? Uh, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? We know that one. We know about Noah. We, we know all these stories. But it, this is not teaching that is about knowing more. Because you knew. If you knew what to do with what you learned, it would be different. So when you finally get in an environment that teaches you and tells you how to do something with what you've learned, you need to stick with it. When we begin to see the Bible as something that God wants us to do, not just know, it changes everything. And when we start doing with what we know, our faith, it gets bigger. And it's not just covering the story, covering the material, because you know the story. And that's what separates believing from following. You know that Jesus, he, he, he invited his first century followers. He invited them to follow him. He invited them to follow him, to do as he did, to be as he is. And somewhere along the way, over the time from, from where Jesus walked on this earth and he said, come follow me to the time that we stand in today, it, it, it morphed, it changed from being follow me to believe in me. And that's where we left it. The church left it at believe in me. Know things about me. Know. Sit. And it was just about belief, no longer about following. Because here's the one thing that's very important to understand about belief. That is the starting point of our faith, belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins. It is through him that we have eternal life. And the proof that our life has been changed is found in the way that we follow. Jesus taught. When Jesus taught, he thought, taught in such a way that the people would know what to do with what they just heard. There was application. So if we grew up in that environment where we just looked at the, the passage and we had the, the little flannel graph and we had the, the little uh, color sheet and we had those kinds of things and we said, you know what, I'm glad that I was here for the month of January because January is when we always learn about this, right? 
And I knew and I know the songs, right? And I just know those from the very beginning. This little light of mine, right? It's a good one. But here we are. In our example today, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 7. But before we get there, Jesus had just finished uh, preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And, and it's the Sermon on the Mountainside. And it's Jesus talking to a crowd of people. And this is probably a kind of a, uh, just a culmination of, of understanding that Jesus would teach these things over and over and over again. And the Sermon on the Mount was about what to do. It was about how to follow, how to do what he said, how to follow what he said. It wasn't simply about believing. Because to tell you the truth, there were plenty of people that believed many things about God. Jesus, he taught in a to-do list because he knew that doing things matters. If you just hear it, and you don't do anything with it, it doesn't matter. In terms of salvation, what we do isn't going to get us to heaven. I just want you to hear that. It's only by the grace of God that you've been saved through faith in Jesus, not by works that no one should boast, right? But there is a call of Jesus on everybody's life that you would follow me. The Sermon on the Mount, it was about how a person of faith should act. So Jesus, in, in his teaching, he said things like, listen, if somebody comes up to you and they said, listen, I want you to carry my stuff for one mile. He said, I want you to not stop there. I want you to go for two when somebody does something, they offend you, they hurt you, they harm you in some way, and it's really, really, really bad, what I want you to do is to really forgive them. He says, listen, lust is a sin, not just adultery. What you do with your mind, what you see with your eyes, it matters. Those things are sin. Giving, you want a percent. You, you, you want me to just tell you what's the bare minimum to give? He said, listen, I don't want to give you a bare minimum. I want you to give as much as you can. And so Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, this is how you live with faith in God who knows your name. You live a life of generosity by, by following a God who knows your name and knows your needs, and he will supply them. Jesus taught about application, what to do if you really do trust God and have confidence that God will take care of you. It's not about working to get to God, but it's about living as if God. So Jesus, after he, he tells the Sermon on the Mount, he kind of wraps the whole thing up and he says this, everyone then who hears these words of mine, everyone who hears these words of mine and embroiders them on a pillow, everyone who hears these, these words of mine and, and puts them on a t-shirt, 
Everyone who, who, who hears these words of mine and, and slaps it on a bumper sticker. No, he said, listen, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. You want to see God? You want to see God? You want him to be real in your life? You want to see God show up in practical ways? Do you want God to show up in your world? You have to do what he says. It's not about church attendance. It's it's not about, about every Sunday sitting in the same place. What growing in faith, it's all about doing. Your obedience to what God's word says is an act of faith. When faith intersects with faithfulness, when obedience intersects with the faithfulness of God, God shows up. And he blows things up real big, right? Your faith grows. We do what God said to do simply because God said to do it. And when we do what God said to do, that's an expression of trust. It's an expression of confidence. And when we do what God says to do, even if it doesn't make sense to us at the time, if we do what God says to do, we obey him. It shows up in our relationships. People see a difference in our relationships. It shows up in our marriage. If you were to truly do what God wanted you to do in your marriage, would you have the troubles that you have right now? If you were to do what God said to do with your finances, would you be worried about clearing the next transaction? But here's the thing. We don't do this alone. We do this in community. But you need to be part of a community that says knowing must become doing. When I was in college... um, I was an all-star intramural basketball player. I feel like you don't believe me. So I went through high school and I played football and I didn't have an injury that took me out, but I play one game in intramurals and I end up needing knee surgery. So, and it was the kind of knee surgery where you didn't get one of those cool braces where you could still bend your leg. It was like a complete immobilizer. Okay? And so it was my left leg, and, and here I am. I, I, I did this stellar move on the court, stuck it really nice, and then it just didn't work anymore. But here's the thing. Uh, I, I was put in this brace, and I walked around in this brace, you know, just kind of hobbling along, little peg leg thing going on, and it was completely immobilized. And I had to wait to have surgery, and then finally I had surgery. And after the surgery, then you had to still keep it immobilized because it needed to heal. Right? That was before they'd said, no, you need to just start walking after you have surgery. I don't know. It changed. But here's the thing. My leg was protected, right? Nothing was going to make that thing bend. It was nice and protected and wrapped, and, and, and there was nothing that was going to interfere with it. 
And when it came time to use it again, do you know what happened? Atrophy. Took the brace off, stood in front of the mirror, looked, and my leg had become the size of an arm. And I looked at that and I thought, oh no, what am I going to do? I mean, I'm going to have to walk in circles for the rest of my life. I mean, what's going to happen here? I mean, I made a joke about NASCAR in the earlier service. It didn't go very well. But here's what happened. I had stacked this thing up, shoved it in, and protected it, and only kept it the way that I thought it was going to be safe. And when it was done, when the immobilizations work was done, there was no muscle there. And we can do the absolute same thing with our faith. We can take our knowledge, we can take our, our, our thoughts about God, we can take it and we can wrap it in the, I'm going to practice this and I'm only going to bring it out, you know, I'm going to keep my Bible and I'm, 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 going, to, I'm going to keep it in a box and I'm, I'm never going to really, you know, I'm going to open it real careful and I'm never going to let it break the spine, right? And I'm, and I'm never going to write notes in it. And I'm never going to, to, to use it in such a way that, that, that it becomes a tool in understanding how God's going to transform me. No, I'm going to keep it safe. And I'm, and I'm going to wrap my faith up in this idea that it's, it's only on Sundays. When I just come on Sundays, if I, if I could just come and I, and I attend and I sit there, then it's going to be okay. It's going to be safe. But what happens when you don't exercise something, it never develops. You have to do things. You have to do things with your faith. Something, you have to do something to grow it. So that means you need to be in environments where, you're, where, you're, where the word is taught and your word is taught and it's applied. You're given steps in how to apply and, and to, here's what it is, here's, here's what you need to know and here's what you need to do with what you've, what you've heard. You know, we do that. We do that with our kids. Every Sunday, every Wednesday, we do that with our kids here. If you ever thought, hey, listen, I, I wish there was somebody that would help me, that would assist me in helping my kids to know how to apply God's word in their life. Hello? Have them be part of what we do on Sundays and on Wednesdays. Have them go to camp. Have them go to vacation Bible school. Have them to learn to apply God's word in their life. Be in environments where you have this, this back and forth understanding that there's more to be done than just stacking up knowledge. So Jesus, Jesus, after he, he, he's given all of these words, the Sermon on the Mount, he's, he's come and he said, listen to the crowd. Hey, listen, um, I just spent a good amount of time telling you these things. Now go do something with it. Because obedience makes the difference. That's why it is one of the best things that you can do for your family, 
The best thing that you can do for your spouse, the best thing that you can do for yourself is to put yourself in situations where you don't just hear the word, but you learn how to apply the word and do the word. You need the scriptures taught in an applicable way. So Jesus said, listen, if you will hear these words and do them, if you're a doer, you will be like the wise man. You'll be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came. Remember the song? And the winds blew, and they beat on the house. They beat on the house, but it did not fall. Because that house had been founded on the rock. He didn't say that the house didn't fall because they knew that the storm was coming, and so they boarded up the windows and secured the the roof, right? He didn't say that. He said they founded the house on the rock is because they actually built on rock. But he goes on then to tell the other side of the story. And he says, everyone who hears these words of mine, that's everyone. This isn't an an, uh, exclusive group. This is everyone that attends church. This is everyone that, that picks up their Bible and they read the scripture. Everyone who opens the pages everyone who attends a study, everyone who listens online, everyone who goes to a conference, everyone who hears the words of Jesus every time that the word is taught, everyone who hears and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. He's saying, You can come every single time the doors are open and you can still be a fool. You can build all kinds of homes. You can build great elaborate homes of relationships and finances and morality and dating and all of these things. You can build all kinds of things, but if they're not built on the right thing, it's about what you do with what you've heard. Because I'll tell you what, a perfect attendance award will not give you shelter when the storms of life come. An established relationship of trust and practice, it provides the protection that you need. But not so much with a sandy foundation. Here's what happened. The rain fell. The floods came. The winds blew and they beat against the house and it fell and great, and great was the fall of it. And we could spend a lot of time right there. But here's the deal, walls of knowledge just stacked, stacked high with no trust, no confidence in God, knowing a lot about God, but not having a relationship of confidence and trust. When the storms of life comes, no matter if you know how many books are in the Bible or if you know how many pages are in yours, 
If that does not have the right foundation, great will be the crash when the trials of life come. When the winds come, when the floods come up, it will be a great fall. Because you probably know, or you may be someone who is teetering on the edge of losing your faith because of a storm. Because when things get hard, when things get hard relationally, when things get difficult health-wise, when you lose a family member, when you experience financial stress, when the storms of life come, is it going to crash your house of faith? Is it going to be in the end just a house of cards? Your attendance and your knowledge won't keep it. And so when Jesus finished these things, the crowds, they were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching as one who had authority, not as their scribes. Because they lived in this world where the Pharisees and the scribes, they loved to stack their data. They loved to to create these walls of, of all kinds of inaccessible terms and lofty ideas about God. They used big words. They used burdens that nobody could bear. And they loved to make their knowledge of God the center stage of what was going on. But Jesus, Jesus didn't do that. He didn't do that with the the crowds. Here's what he said. He said, here's a little bit of things to believe. And here's here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you what it looks like. It looks like forgiveness. It looks like going the second mile. It looks like don't look that way. It looks like give with all generosity. Jesus says, this is what God says, and this is what it looks like in the real world. But Jesus says, you can't just listen. You can't just attend. You've got to do. You've got to do. And when you do, it is an act of faith. And do it even when it doesn't make sense to you. Because when you do what God says to do, even when it doesn't make sense financially or relationally or any kind of ali, it's an expression of trust, of confidence. When our trust and our obedience intersect, God shows up. There is a place for peaceful meditation. There is a place for calm. But when you open the Bible and you dig into the information and you, and you find all kinds of information about God and then you lean into application, how do I do something with what I've just read? You know what happens? It becomes a little upsetting. It becomes a little unsettling 
Because when you read God's word, it begins to kick a few things over in your life. And when Jesus taught, it wasn't all that easy. In John 8, Jesus taught, and they wanted to stone him. Applying the scriptures is never boring. It's not a spectator sport. It's not like, I'm going to read the scriptures and just breathe in the calm. It says, I'm going to read the scriptures and understand that there's something in me that has to be changed. There's some reconstruction that needs to happen. It's pushing against the status quo. Everywhere that Jesus went, he made some waves. In fact, there's an account in Luke chapter 4. Jesus had just unrolled a scroll of Isaiah, and he had to kind of look through it and, and said a few things about himself that he saw in that scroll of Isaiah. And it says this, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with joy. No, they were filled with wrath. Because Jesus' teaching, it made them think, and what Jesus said, it bothered them. It bothered them so much, they rose up, and they drove him out of the town, and they brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. When our lives intersect with the teachings of Scripture, there will be times where we feel a bit of rage. How dare you? If God only knew. If God only knew what was going on in my life, I'd get a pass. It feels bad because you get called out. But a change. When we read God's word, a change must come because application is needed. In practical teaching, it should lead you to reading more, not less. If there's something that you hear about practical application and you're like, you know what, I don't like that and I'm going to show him. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to find it in the Bible. I'm going to show him that he was wrong. There's no way. I'm happy if that happens and you get in the Bible you start reading God's word because when God's word is opened, it should have application. It should have application in your home. It should have an application in your most precious relationships. It should apply in your job, in your finances. Obedience is an intersection of your faith with God's faithfulness. And our faith grows and it explodes when the teaching of Scripture is met with meaningful and practical application. Somebody said that unapplied truth is like unapplied paint. It doesn't do anybody any good. The value of paint is in the application. That's why I say you need an environment. Your kids need an environment. Your spouse needs an environment where someone says, okay, I have a can of paint and I'm going to open the top and I'm going to stir it up and I'm going to make sure it's mixed really well and I'm going to hand it to you with a paintbrush and say, start painting. Start applying. 
You're going to take that can of paint, and and you've got to show up. It's got to show up at home. You've got to apply it at home. You've got to apply it at school. You've got to apply it at work. And if you don't apply it, then you're like the man or the woman who has built their entire house, their entire house morally, their entire house ethically, financially, relationally, whatever capacity. You're like somebody that's built on a foundation that will never survive a storm. In that house that you built, it may look perfect. may look perfect for a few hours, weeks, months, years, but eventually, eventually something's going to come along and undermine it. And that is why it's so, so, so important. In order for us to be a wise man, in order for us to be a wise woman, to be a wise teenager, to be a a wise young adult, we need to understand that everyone who hears the words of Jesus and does them is wise and builds a house, builds a house on the rock. Because at the end of the day, it's your obedience that makes all the difference. Would you pray with me?